and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Star Trek 2009 edition. Hello and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my comrade, my Spock to my Kirk, I guess. Why, why am I I'm Spock? A, in I was about to say, I'm not as good looking as Chris Pine. Oh, neither um, am I. If that's the, 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 what we're doing, then no. Uh, but who's, who's the rebel here? Who's who's the Kirk and who's the logical one? You're you're way more level headed than I am. You would definitely be Spock, just based like on our days of working at the movie theater together. Uh, you know, I would just come in and just fucking curse up a storm and throw shit around when I dealt with a bad customer, and you'd just be like, "It's human nature," or you'd say something. Let's be honest, something Vulcan. Just yeah. just based on the on my accent, I'll be Chekhov. That's true. Just be comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> just can't understand what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, Yes, Julio's here. We also have a guest in the house. Uh, it's become kind of semi-regular. We're getting some guests in here, and it's nice to have. We'll, we'll introduce him in just a moment here. But yeah, as Julio said, we're here today to discuss the 2009 Star Trek, J.J. Abrams' first foray into the thankless role of being a director of uh, properties that people <laughs> absolutely love and adore. I guess you could also, eh, Mission Impossible, not as much, because that's I think that was the first film he directed was MI3. Mm-hmm. But yeah. There were a lot of flares there. There's a lot of flares here. There are a lot of flares in his future. They These can stay in 2009, but we'll <laughs> see. Uh, Star Trek. Uh, for some reason in my head, it came out later, but it might have just been Star Trek Into Darkness. It's uh, It was right before the wave of, like, you know, obviously the superhero, like, boom. Uh, and definitely made its mark... Uh, it was the first film of the summer, or first blockbuster of the summer in 2009, I should say. And uh, we'll get into how it made off at the box office and also the careers that it launched. Uh, Julio, let's go ahead and explain what it is we do here on The Contrarians real quick before we get to our guest for this episode. Uh, here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh and accompanied by that wonderful IP uh, that tells you so. Uh, what we'll do with those films is cut them down to size, uh, talk about maybe some of the uh, aspects that are lacking, be it acting, directing, score, just overall message, uh, just finding the things that maybe the critics swept under the rug or were just willfully ignorant to. We'll call out the convenient appearances by Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> Didn't I? Uh, conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches, 
rotten and uh, typically 30% and below. And as you would guess, we'll speak to that film's positive merit, uh, maybe some bold direction, bold screenwriting, uh, good acting that went under-celebrated, soundtracks, what have you, all in an attempt to, you know, say that this shit is subjective. You can be as positive and over the moon about something as you want to be uh, if you set your mind to it, or if you're dead set on it, you can be as just downright cynical about something as you choose. Being that this is 94%, a powerful 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, here in the first portion, Julio, myself, and our guest will be uh, kind of just talking about why maybe this was um, not all that you know people thought it was. It wasn't worth that $400 million it made at the box office. Uh, but if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, the movie du jour, in this case, J.J. Abrams, 2009 Star Trek, Julio, they just have to hang around and check out part two. That is correct. Part two, the aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we tell you how we really feel about the movie that we're covering. Forget about the tomato meter. We don't care about the certified fresh logo or the certified rotten logo, whatever it may be. We just tell you how we feel. Uh, I have a lot of uh, personal history uh connected to this movie alex I, I can't wait to share it once we get to real talk i don't know what your uh experience with it is i thought that this was a movie you were very familiar with but then halfway through today you shot me a text asking me why people hated it and i had to remind you this is fresh in the tomato meter so now i don't know maybe you haven't seen this movie as often as i uh, as i thought and then we have a i think third. i only saw it once and that was in the theater i may have seen it again but yeah we we'll have plenty to discuss but yeah i didn't mean to cut you off julio there we do have a third perspective coming in well, we do and i don't know anything about our guest's experience with star trek other than he suggested it he said we're trying to figure out what movie he could do on the show uh i've been on his show twice now three times really because i was on his patron as well and uh it was it was time for him to pay us a visit, and so he said Star Trek. He he threw those tomato meter scores there, and I'm like, that this makes sense. So, without further ado, I guess if you are if I'm Chekhov and you are Kirk, our friend John Amenta from the Pint, he would be. Uh, I'm I'm gonna throw out there Scotty just because you're coming in, you know, halfway through halfway through, through the, the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, okay. but feel free to disagree. I mean, if you if you identify with different Star Trek character in this movie. By all means, tell us and tell us about the pint. I, I like the Scotty uh, comparison. I'll take that uh, coming in a little late to the game. Yeah, uh, the pint is me and my uh, my buddy Lloyd, and uh, we have a very novel approach to podcasting. It's two middle aged white guys talking about mostly movies. You probably That's kind. you probably have never heard that one before, but um, we we touch on all pop culture, but we do mostly movie episodes. A lot of horror stuff. Uh, we do uh, like list episodes. Um, some TV stuff. We have a, we have a Patreon, as you mentioned, uh, some YouTube stuff as well. We just like to have fun. We like to have fun. We like to talk about movies. We like to think that we're more clever than we are and maybe get, you know, get some laughs while we're doing it. But yeah, the pint, uh, it's called the pint, but then I had to put afterwards because the pint's a nonsensical title. I put a pop culture podcast so people know what it's, what it's all about. See, here's the thing. Like that's the easy go-to joke. I think and it's like, oh, it's just dudes talking about movies on a podcast but you know what distinguishes like what makes like it's special when when it works it's just like the chemistry i think and i think that you guys have chemistry and that's what that's what makes me tune in i i mean i know i've told you this before i remember if we were recording or if it was before we were recording uh one of the times i was on your show but i remember the first time i listened to your show you were reviewing uh black widow comic book and uh 
it was during the pandemic and it was you and your wife you were yes. doing it and it was just you know it's not even like the usual episode that you have because it wasn't your usual co-host it wasn't lloyd but it was still you know you guys were having fun it was it was something that i hadn't heard before so that kept me listening and then i was like i really can't get a handle of like what your gimmick was until i realized that oh your gimmick is just that you guys are fun to listen to <laughs> Oh, you thank know, you. <laughs> you'll talk about like your favorite action figures from the 80s or you'll talk about Event Horizon or you'll talk about some weird movie that I've never heard of and I just it's just entertaining to listen to. So, yes, it's two white dudes talking, but it's two white dudes talking in a very entertaining way. <laughs> so, don't undersell your your show. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I have I have a trillion ideas and one show. So, we have a lot of subseries. We I just, if I want, it's, you know, again, it's podcasting. It's a, it's a hobby and um, I could do whatever I want. So if I want to do an episode where we talk about action figures, let's just do it, you know, because we don't really have a set format, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, you're right. Like one of the reasons I love listening to you guys or, you know, the countdown or stew world order or any of those great shows is I could hear opinions on the movies or whatever that all of you guys are talking about anywhere, but I like to hear your opinions and your you know, your chemistry and, you know, you taking your years of podcasting together and laying it out there and, and entertaining me. So I, I understand 100% what you mean. I, I do downplay it, but yeah, we have a good time. There you go. So we have established The Pint is a good show to listen to. Listen to it. But first, you're going to listen to us talk about Star Trek. And then you can go hunt down my conversation with John about uh, the octagon on his show, uh, which was a Chuck Norris movie that I didn't know existed. Um, yes. Then he brought me back for a, a much more mainstream movie, uh, or as mainstream as Tim Burton may get. Uh, we talked about Batman Returns. And then uh, on his Patreon, we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is a movie I'd been meaning to watch, and I finally did it. Not for Alex, which is what you would have thought would have happened. No, I did it for someone else. I, I cheated on my podcast co-host with a, someone a movie else. A movie completely fueled by cocaine. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that sometimes. No. Now, we'll get into why you picked Star Trek once we get to real talk, John, because I don't want that to color uh, Contrarian's Corner. So save that for, for the second part of the show. But what we're going to do now is just do our Contrarian's thing, and uh, and you'll play along. Uh, Absolutely. Alex, do you want to say anything else before we get into quotes? I do. Uh, I erroneously said this was the first... Uh, blockbuster of the summer of 2009 coming out on May 8th, 2009. But I forgot until my brain, I guess I had blocked it out, but X-Men Origins Wolverine, of course, was the first movie <laughs> of the summer in 2009 because they rushed it to come out on May 1st before everything else. And that's why they fucking released a movie with special effects that aren't finished in it. Uh, somehow it had the exact same budget as Star Trek and looks like absolute dog shit. So I guess all that mo money just went to uh, Hugh Jackman and Liev Schreiber split the pot and were like, all right, let's get out of here. So had to correct myself. You know me. It would drive me crazy if I didn't. Uh, but the second big summer blockbuster of 09, Star Trek. Fire everything! All right, Julio, 94%. I remember when this came out, it was with fanfare, and I used that expression, genuine blockbuster, because it definitely felt that way of a um, big summertime movie. And uh, this was kind of right before 
the idea of the reboot remake started to get really long in the tooth. And I think it was, um, this is an example of one that I, people were seemed to be pretty excited about this property that they had loved so much was getting some new treatment so much so that 94%, that's one of the higher ones we've done in recent memory, Julio. Uh, what, uh, what were the critics saying about this? At least the ones that helped put that score together on rotten tomatoes. Well, here's uh here's a few fresh quotes Uh, We're going to start with Debbie Lynn Elias from Behind the Lens, who says, Star Trek equals and in some instances surpasses its mythological cultural presence and boldly goes where no film has gone before. Um, I understand that she's excited about it. I understand that uh, hyperbole comes with most of these quotes. But I think even if you like this movie, you can't say that it's boldly going where no one went before because it's it's going everywhere that people have gone before, including its own franchise. <laughs> There's time travel in Star Trek. Do you? I, I know Alex, you're not as familiar with the with the franchise, but we did the Final Frontier on this show a few years ago. OG crew, Shatner, Nimoy, the Force Kelly. So that movie it has that trio of characters, same trio of characters that we have here, Star Trek Four has time travel with the whales, time travel here. The mirror universe is something that they revisit, you know, time and again in the TV shows. You have a multiverse here, like an alternate universe. So I don't think that there's a single new idea on this show. John, am I wrong? Like, Alex doesn't know anything about Star Trek, but do you disagree? No, it's, yeah, it's time travel. It's, uh, I, I think maybe the only thing that you could say is a new idea here for, for Star Trek is the fact that this is essentially an origin story, which we had never gotten. And for years after the Next Generation movies kind of fizzled out, that was kind of always the plan at one point. It was even the plan during the original crew run eventually to just go to like a cadet um, setting where they where they met up. And so, yeah, that that's the only thing. But like, yeah, when you're talking about like time travel or it being like a, a mostly Kirk and Spock uh, film, yeah, none of none of that is new. That's the entire franchise, one through six, essentially. Yep, I think that the, the one maybe I'll I'll throw one more thing that maybe it's uh, so far unheard of, and that was who are making out with Spock. Never seen it before. Yeah, and then this movie threw it out there, and now it's part of pop culture. They didn't go to San Francisco like in Star Trek Two, though. <laughs> that's that's the that's the best bit on the the internet right now. The argument between Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington about which one they go to San Francisco in. Well, it's it's the fourth one, Alex. That's the joke. <laughs> uh, all right, next, Shubra Gupta from the Indian Express says Star Trek works both as a nostalgia trip for those that remember and a fun on the run sci flick for those that are Trekkie virgins. John, I, I don't think you're a Trekkie virgin. I think no. that you're less of a no. Trekkie virgin than Alex is. And even then, Alex, I don't think he is. But uh, what's what's your Star Trek experience? Are you like, uh, I've seen them all or I've seen the movies? Uh, uh, original series. Uh, I'm a fan. I've seen all the movies. When I was a kid uh, here in Connecticut, one of the local stations used to do the marathons on weekends a lot of times. So I got into it through that and uh, uh, an uncle that was into it. Um, no, I, I, I love Star Trek. I am, you know, I was thinking about this earlier when, when I knew, you know, I was coming on, well, I'm not a Trekkie, but I'm, uh, a slightly higher than casual fan. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not gonna, I'm not the guy who's going to battle you in a, in a trivia battle about the original TV show. 
um, you know, down to like what, like what color was uh, Kirk's uh, undershirt in, you know, in the Trouble with Tribbles episode. But I, I can hang in, uh, and I enjoy Star Trek as as a whole. I'm probably overall, if if you want to get into that kind of geek argument, overall, I'm probably more of a Star Trek fan than a Star Wars fan as an adult. Okay. Um, because Star Wars is also kind of more space fantasy, but yeah, so I, I enjoy Star Trek for sure. Well, uh, Alex and I have this, we, we've stolen this joke from someone else, and now it's become a, a running joke on our show uh, where we talk about chainsaws, and uh, it's basically, and Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> somebody made the joke that now movies are just so full of references, they're so self-referential, Like, and were, the example was that you make the movie, the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you when they have the close up of the chainsaw and somebody goes like, "Hey, that's the chainsaw," as if that's supposed to carry some meaning, right. just because it's a reference. And so, this movie, you know, has a bunch of chainsaw moments. And I know I could call them out. I wonder if you could call out even more chainsaw moments than me, because that would put you on a on a higher level of Star Trek, uh, you know, knowledge. Right. Whereas, like with Alex, I'm curious if he even spotted a single chainsaw. Alex, were you watching this movie? And you're like, "Hey, that's the chainsaw," and that's the chainsaw, or were you just dead inside yeah, i mean i have surface level knowledge of star trek i'm not completely like blind to it but i it's not that from a point of a fan like i'm giving her all she's got captain and okay. you know the see that yeah. i wouldn't have expected that <laughs> so that's cool no yeah and um fuck carl urban for god's sake i'm a doctor not i can't but <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well he when he says uh my wife took everything. All I have left are my bones or something. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. he said, he said it. It's bones. That's the chainsaw. <laughs> uh, I mean, that you would know too, Alex, because, you know, they call them bones in Star Trek V. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of chainsaws in this in this movie. Uh, and I'm sure Trekkie virgins didn't catch any of them. So that's all right. Um, and then we're going to close with Richard Probes from the independentcritic.com who says, so JJ, accept our apologies. We're sorry for doubting you. Wow. Besides Mission Impossible Three, what what would what he have done up until this point? Like what what was he known for coming in? Felicity. <laughs> Fel- ah. Felicity and uh, I alias? mean Lost. Alias oh, he did Lost before this, right? Yeah. Alias Lost. Lost was more like he was a part of you know with with Lindelof and all that, so it wasn't just him. But Alias was his big thing, and Felicity was like the first. And movie wise, yeah, like you said. Uh, Mission Impossible 3, I think, was the first thing he directed movie-wise. Yeah, I mean, why would you doubt him? What would you doubt him to the point that you feel like you need to apologize after? <laughs> Even if you doubted him, I don't think it was that big of a deal. Was the guy one of the uh, investors that threatened to pull out? Maybe. Maximum more. Punch it. As we like to do from time to time, rely on the services of our old friend wikipedia and i feel this is a good one to kick off with the opening paragraph of the plot here uh, from wikipedia in 2233 the federation starship uss kelvin is investigating a lightning storm in space a romulan ship narada emerges from the storm and attacks kelvin narada's first officer al demands that kelvin's captain roba who was this guy by the way he looked like a familiar actor the terrorist from iron man 3 in the cave. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He was having a good couple of years. Yeah. He had in 08, 09. We're like, this guy's prime time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the party's never going to end by the wallpaper. 
Uh, he wants him to come aboard to negotiate a truce. Robau is questioned about the current star date and an ambassador, Spock, whom he does not recognize. Narada's commander, Nero, kills him. Nero, of course, played by Eric Bana, which, boy, he went out on his shield with this one, man, because I. this was after Munich. What was his other big movie around this time? Because I, I remember this kind of being one of the last things that he got, like, top billing in. Uh, well, not top billing, but he was in uh, Funny People. Well, yeah, I think it's that I same year. I purposely right? ignored that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. Funny People is not, in my opinion, a good movie. And it's it's like every Judd Apatow comedy. It's way too long. But Eric Bana was actually really funny in that movie as like the dickhead husband. I think that was the thing. He played that role so well. And it's like, I wonder if this is what this guy's really like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Eric Bana kills uh, Robau and resumes attacking Kelvin. George Kirk, Kelvin's first officer, a, a name that we'll get back to in just a moment here, orders the ship's personnel, including his pregnant wife, Winona, to abandon ship while he pilots the Kelvin on a collision course with the Narada. Kirk sacrifices himself uh, to ensure Winona's survival as she gives birth to James Tiberius Kirk. And then bah, 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 the big like Star Trek logo hits the screen. Um, uh, this is the first call- 10 minutes of the movie, Alex, and they just threw everything at the kitchen sink at us. It's like, how can they live up to this? It's the like birth. The <laughs> main thing I remember from the trailer, because we joked about it in the projection booth for months leading into this, is that shot of Eric Bana towards the end. You get it too. And I like in the movie in context, it's like, fuck yeah. But like in the trailer, it was so bad. It's just that shot of him going fire everything. And I remember that. And <laughs> that is the opening of this movie. They're firing everything at you. Unbeknownst to us at the time too. They're firing at us. Uh, one of the lead actors in the cinematic universe that would kill and destroy my love of filmmaking. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we get, um, Thor, what's his name? It's uh, he's the he's Chris, right? Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Okay, because uh, I remember the hilarity of when Thor was cast. Everyone was like, or I was like, "Who's Chris Hemsworth?" They're like, "He's the guy from the beginning of Star Trek." I was like, "Oh, that guy." So you can't say it's like heavy-handed or kind of a wink and nod here. Now it's kind of an eye-rolling thing. But Julio, John. Praying and playing off of all of the audience's emotions here, like instant death. There's a kid being born. It's just manipulation from JJ right off the bat. And I mean, get used to it because less than 10 years down the road, he would go back to that well once again. One of the first things I just wanted to mention uh, with the Hemsworth thing was how in shape is Chris Hemsworth now that when you see him in this movie, you're like, hey, look, he was fat then, even though he's not remotely fat. <laughs> he's he's in perfectly good shape, but because his cheekbones aren't sticking out of his head, you're like, oh, look, he was fat back then. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he looks like a normal guy here. And yeah. we're like, oh, God, what a slob. Yeah. Uh, he is, it's distracting. This is, okay, I'm, I'm not going to fold Abrams on this one, but it's it's not, you can't escape it now because we live in, in this world where Chris Hemsworth is Thor. And now you can't see him as anything but Thor when he's on Accurate. screen. So I think that when movies cast him today, they know that. And so they, they play off the Thor image, you know, and you're maybe seeing Thor play a bad guy or Thor playing a bimbo, a himbo. Uh, but back then, like, you know, he's not doing this. He just happened to cast a guy that was going to become much bigger down the line for a very specific character. So you watch him and you're like, that's not Kirk's dad. That's Thor. <laughs> that's <laughs> Thor with a weird hairdo and out of shape. So that's distracting. And then Alex 
please tell me that you recognize Jennifer Morrison as she was screaming and giving birth because we just saw her in Warrior, you know, a couple episodes ago. Did you remember her being the mother? No. It no, was yet. such a joyful surprise. That, same for me because, like, I didn't remember that at all. And I was like thinking, I was like, who's the mom? And then that first shot, I was like, wait, is that Alicia Cuthbert? Because, like, they just kind of show her with her hair down. And I was like, holy shit, it's Jennifer Morrison. And, uh, yeah, she just can't catch a break, man. First her husband's <laughs> fighting, now her husband's flying a ship into another ship. It's just poor, poor, poor She's constantly for- telling her, her husbands not to do the one thing that the movie needs them to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the curse of Jennifer Morrison. Uh, but yeah, no, this is, uh, this is exhausting. It was like 10 minutes and I was done. I was like, all right, roll the credits. <laughs> it's already an Oscar clip. It's like, it's fucking hilarious because Chris Hemsworth's now one of like, you know, the most profitable actors in the world. But like, it's so hilarious to watch this and think like that he was eating pork and beans at the time. So he's going (laughs) to use the one scene he has on camera to like, you know, I'm going to fucking go for it, man. They're going to give me a call back for something tomorrow. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, it's an early Oscar clip for this. And then, like I said, the big lead into the opening credits and then, we get sabotage by Beastie Boys, which I immediately realized they pay off. And is the third one beyond? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I'm like, oh, that's a, it's the chainsaw from the future. Now, now that's going to come into play here before too <laughs> this long. This will be the chainsaw. So help me out here, um, my more educated Star Trek brethren. Do we ever see Kirk as a little kid in the other ones? And he's is he like a little badass kid that steals cars and shit? <laughs> no, no, we ne- we never see him steal a car or outrace a robot and or guy in a robot suit <laughs> cop. Um, yeah, we don't see any of that. Yeah, that's that's all J.J. Abrams. Man, the the this is where I think that the, the desecration of uh, OG Star Trek begins because you texted me, Alex. I, like I said, you text me asking, like, why do people hate this movie? And it, it's true that some people hate it. And, and I think that they have they have a case. And that, that, that case is that uh, Gene Roddenberry didn't create a show that was going to have needle drops of, you know, pop songs in it. The movies, the TV shows, like, they're, that's not where you would hear the Beastie Boys sabotage come on. <laughs> And so with this movie, 10 minutes in, introduces Kirk by playing that song. It's like, yes, it's cool, but it's not Star Trek. <laughs> and uh, it said Star Trek on the title screen. So I, I completely understand the backlash just on that aspect alone, that there's a lot of, you know, let's let's make it cool and hip, but maybe, maybe Star Trek is not supposed to be cool and hip in that sense. You know, you're supposed to play classical music. If that was the goal, then Abrams missed the mark immediately. It's 2009. Sabotage fucking rules, but that was a hit in 1994. Like, it should have been My Chemical (laughs) Romance or something playing. (laughs) We get some Anakin Skywalker action as we just watch Spock get mercilessly bullied by the other, uh, or the purebred Vulcans. Um, I guess it's not Anakin in the sense of he doesn't become evil, but it is in the sense of, like, bad child acting. Uh, And... (laughs) Again, is this is this something from the source material where Spock was half Vulcan, half human? Is that or is that added for this? Well, yeah, that, that part that, is true, that right? source. Yeah, okay. was he yep. a bully child, John? Because that part I don't remember. I, I don't honestly. I don't remember if they ever got into any of that. But I mean, a large part of his character is that he he walks two worlds, right? So he's not fully Vulcan. He's not fully human, and the Vulcan way 
uh, of purging emotions, and obviously humans were, were covered in them. Uh, he's constantly a conflict. So, yeah, I mean, they've definitely delved into that. I can't think of anything where they particularly ever went into his childhood, but it, it's a logical step. Yeah, I, I just love that the depiction of Vulcan bullying is so tame, uh, especially <laughs> when contrasted to later in the movie when Kirk really goes off on him. And he's like, this is how we bully people on Earth. <laughs> gonna- well, it, it is like in two just coming off of October, that scene in Halloween 4 where those kids are just so fucking mean to Jamie. And they're, they're every day is Halloween at Jamie's house because her uncle's the boogeyman. And one of them goes... Oh, that's right. Your mom's dead because you're an orphan. And they're not as mean (laughs) as these kids, but Spock snaps. And this obviously sets the groundwork for what's to come later in the film of uh, his human emotions getting the better of him. And we do get a wild Winona Ryder appearing. Uh, They were, you know, Abrams was pulling out of the stops, not just Abrams, (laughs) but the film studio was just like. I guess they didn't have faith in JJ. They were thinking, well, we need to front and backload this as much as possible just to get people in the theater. Uh, did you remember that Winona Ryder was Spock's mom? I did because we talked about it at one point. And it's kind of stuck with me since then. I think we brought it up during the summer of Winona. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's so weird. I knew it was coming, and it was still it. It just threw me off. Just when because I didn't know, I couldn't remember. You know, is it? What what Winona are we getting? You know, it's not it's it's not Stranger Things Winona yet. So was it like closer to Black Swan Winona? And yeah. you've seen Black Swan, you know, more recently than I have. So when she just you know the big reveal of her face, that's and that's a reveal that's like has nothing to do with like we're revealing Spock's mom to you. It's like we're revealing Winona Ryder to you. So remember Winona Ryder? Yes. She's back in Pog form. <laughs> she's not a Vulcan, but she's married to one. John, six, seven, maybe eight hours when Nona was on set for this film. You know, she was kind of in and out. (laughs) One day. One day. (laughs) She literally had to film a scene where she talks to adult Spock and then she dies. So, yeah, that's really it. They broke for for lunch. They broke for lunch. (laughs) They did the first scene. She got her big emotional scene out. And then they said, after lunch, you're going to reach out and fall off a cliff and you're good to go. <laughs> they called cut and it was uh, the, the cast and crew gave her a standing ovation and she bowed and left. As always, whatever you choose to be, you will have a proud mother. It's just pretty much at this point, uh, an absolute just cascade of character introductions. Cause we get Zoe Saldana next who, as I mentioned, when we were teasing doing this episode, uh, had one hell of a 2009 doing this and then going on to make the most profitable film in the history of the medium. Uh, she plays Ahura, Ni Niota, uh, and she's like super intelligent. Obviously she's Zoe Saldana, so she's very attractive. And Kirk here, reappears chris pine it's at a local bar watering hole now even uh previously like shatner kirk was still kind of a ladies man right this is, is that new to this where he's like a horn dog or has that always been kirk's thing oh no <laughs> yeah he, he's always been a a ladies man but because we're seeing the younger version he's he's slightly more rapey in this like <laughs> he's he's slightly more aggressive than you've ever seen him because also you've never really seen him as a civilian 
That's right. He doesn't have to play by anyone's rules but his right. own. I did skip much like the movie did. I apologize. We go 17 years into the future. So he <laughs> it's not this little kid trying to hit on Zoe Saldana. It's Chris he Pine now. And all, yeah, in all his glory. And, you know, classic small town bar gets his ass beat for talking shit and talking to the wrong woman. Uh, did it warm your heart to know that there's still Budweiser in the future? What do they call it Budweiser Classic or something. Budweiser Classic. I I, I want to know how that salt and pepper shaker thing works. That's so awkward. When <laughs> like I get it, I get the ideas. You know, he's looking at the ship and it's supposed to make him think, and then he turns. Up. But how would you pour salt on your food with that thing? Give me a break. It's it's goddamn ridiculous. It's the future. I do appreciate the, the, I appreciate red matter not like making you think, but it's the salt and pepper shaker. Oh, oh no, red red matter also makes me think. <laughs> red matter makes me think very much, especially at the very end of this movie. But yeah, Chris Pine's just getting sauced on beer, so at least you know someone keeps it old school in this. Uh, like I said, he gets into a fight, gets his ass. He, I mean, he has a good showing uh, against four other dudes. Homage to. One of the CKY videos had Mike Vallely like beat up four bro dudes because they called him uh, the F word. It's classic karma for bad people. Kirk's not as lucky as Vallely though, but uh, the dogs are called off by perennial that guy Bruce Greenwood enters in. Uh, he's the commanding officer of the ship, Christopher Pike. He knows who James Kirk is. He knows his backstory, his history, and whatnot. They have kind of like a a one-on-one meeting, they get the bar shut down like he's fucking Belushi in the 70s. And, you know, he's just like, all right, I got to talk to my guy now. And uh, the quote I wrote down was, I dare you to do better. And he's basically challenging him to join as a new cadet and follow in his father's footsteps and live up to his dad's legacy. And, you know, you could be your own captain. And he's obviously done his homework because he has all his test results and all this shit. It's just your... You know, this is something that was really hot in sports movies at the turn of the millennium. I, I fucking not just sports movies. This is like the Goodwill Hunting scene, where you know you find the janitors writing the he's solving the equation. It's it's something that was kind of already played out by '09. It's the you know this is this is the right path for you. You find the janitor bleeding, beaten up, and a bar half drunk. <laughs> I see the potential in you, um, John. You must have known who Captain Pike was. Oh yeah, when you watch this movie, I I didn't. That's yeah. that's you know since then I've kind of boned up on my on my Star Trek lore, and you know he was they made him a f- recurring character, one of the main characters in uh, Discovery, and so now I have like a pretty good idea of who Christopher Pike is. But back when I watched this movie in 09, all I knew was that he was the captain before Kirk took over, and I had it in my head that he wasn't long for this world. So when this right. movie introduces him i'm like okay bruce greenwood much like winona writer much like <laughs> many of the other cameos that we have here he's gonna be here for a couple scenes and then he's gone was that your fear as well uh or maybe yeah, not your I, fear maybe you were looking forward to it maybe you don't like Green, uh, bruce greenwood no I, I like bruce greenwood he's fine um again like alex said he's that guy um no uh yeah i i like the fact that they incorporated pike as um the prior captain to kirk uh, which obviously uh, in the original um, pilot of Star Trek, he was the captain. Um, and then they came back to him later on. Um, yeah, I, I like the fact that they brought that in because you kind of needed that. I mean, you're starting a movie where Kirk is not even in Starfleet yet. Um, you know, and we, and I'm sure I'll also get to it in a second, but we do that three year jump, but you don't expect him in three years to be a captain yet. 
He's still a cadet. He's still a fuck up, uh, essentially. So yeah, it was it was good to see uh, like a transition of power and and again, I like Greenwood in this role. You know, he, he he's 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 a very straightforward actor and and he's very straightforward in this. And that's what you kind of need. I think I like him too. I, I think that the, the downside of casting him as Pike and giving Pike such an extended role in the movie is that now Pine can't live up to that. Like Chris Pine, especially from where you, the way you set him up, is like conceivably like you can't you can't just make him like if if Christopher Pike is what a Starfleet captain is supposed to be. <laughs> Then even from that first scene, I'm like, he's not going to make it by the end of this movie. There's no way, you know, we're probably going to have like five movies down the line where he can actually be a captain if this right. is the standard. And so when he actually, by the end of the movie, becomes a captain, I'm like, they're downgrading. You know, <laughs> the the, search, oh. the the Enterprise was Pikes and now it goes to Kirk and it's like, oh, come on. You couldn't find anybody better. Yeah. Uh, Kirk does a, you know, does an admirable job. Uh, in in what this movie, what the mission of this movie is, but in the, in the long run, are they going to give him the ship? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a photo op. Yeah, <laughs> dismiss him. Greenwood also has the really good lecturing voice. He's got the good tone to make you like feel shame. Stunt casting for this because we all <laughs> feel bad for Kirk. As we mentioned already, Carl Urban, who. <laughs> coming off of Doom, and I'm trying to remember, Judge Dredd was shortly after this, if I remember correctly. Next and year. That was the end of Carl Urban as a leading man. But uh, we're introduced to Carl Urban. He befriends Kirk right away because they're next to each other on the, um, the ship uh, off to school, basically. Uh, Leonard McCoy, his name, by the way, the doc. And as John mentioned, we go to three years later. We kind of get some more Eric Bana sprinkled in here. Nero uh, still, you know, just hunting Spock. He wants Spock. And <laughs> at this point, it's like, have I not been paying enough attention? Why does he want Spock? But no, it comes a bit later. So we still got a little bit of time to ruminate on what the possible, you know, beef is. Does he owe him, like, money from a gambling bet or something? I, I still don't know. Did you? Uh, did it hit you or did you not even think about it? Because the movie just kind of speeds through it. But he's been in that ship waiting for Spock for 25 years. <laughs> Could have at least done with like a shot of like, you know, a whole litany of empty like food cans on the floor. Like, you know, your pork <laughs> and beans and Budweiser yeah, classics. Budweiser classics Classic. and, you know, <laughs> just a bunch of booze. And the guys all still look fairly like kempt. You would think I bet that ship smelled like shit dude. <laughs> after 25 years. That scene where he's um, where they tell him that, like, uh, I think they tell him that they caught up finally. And it's just him laying, like staring at the ceiling. I picture that him for doing that for twenty five years, <laughs> just waiting for some one of his rando guys to come in and go, Captain. You know, Spock's ship has appeared. You know, <laughs> he like turns over and throws up like Naomi Rapace and uh, fucking Prometheus when they get where they're going. Yeah. All right, back to work. He's just, he's like, I don't even care anymore. Let's just fucking go home. <laughs> like, Spock is here. Who? <laughs> we wait. We wait for the one who allowed our home to be destroyed, as we've been doing for 25 years. So it's a big test day. It's this uh, like simulation they do, and if Kirk passes it, you know he's he, he's confident he's going to pass this test that no one else has ever passed before, and he ends up doing so, but not truthfully. There's a bit of he was a little bit nefarious in his methods of doing so. It was a computer program that he was able to kind of uh, override and cause a glitch in. 
uh, passing the test. But as he calls out rightly, it's bullshit because the test was designed so no one could pass it. This is uh, where he meets Spock for the first time. And there's obviously some quibbling back and forth between them because Spock invented the test and he thinks it's dishonest. And Kirk calls out, you don't like it because I beat your test, that type of thing. Uh, Way bigger and more overshadowing of this moment (laughs) is the fact that Tyler Perry is the one who's like (laughs) – He's the referee. He's he's the mediator here. He's he's part of the council that called this meeting. What the fuck, man? I mean, this is – Tyler Perry, it's like – these movies and Gone Girl were like the big like asides that he did. And I'm not going to talk shit about Tyler Perry because that dude found his market and he found these movies to make. And that dude has more money than I could literally ever dream of. So it is kind of funny, though, because he made such a career and spot for himself. I remember not being prepared at all to see him in this. It's like distracting. It's, it's more distracting than Chris Hemsworth. And it was happening in real time. He didn't have to wait to become part of the MCU. He was just Tyler Perry there. Uh, I remember the same thing. And I remember thinking, okay, what's going to be the payoff? You can't just cast Tyler Perry as random officer number one. Like there has to, he's going to do something or he's going to, you know, show up in drag later. But no, it's just, he literally has two scenes where he's completely unremarkable. Like we're not a writer. At least she gets to be Spock's mom. But Tyler Perry is just. A background character, almost. I think I read, and I think this was way back then, so I could be wrong, but I think I read that Tyler Perry was like a Star Trek super fan, and he probably knew J.J. Abrams, and much like Samuel Jackson when he went to George Lucas and said, you know, make me a Jedi, um, he he probably just said, fine, I got, I got you know, you could be the the head of Starfleet or whatever that guy is, and uh, you're 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 in the film twice, and he can now die a happy man. <laughs> Because he's worth, you know, $298 billion, and he was in Star Trek 2009. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's how it works. It's just, it's who you know. Yeah. Uh, Alex, this this might be beyond your Star Trek knowledge, but I'm sure John knows uh, about the Kobayashi Maru test. Uh, and so this is a good example of the movie kind of working for, I think, a certain type of audience and not working for another. Because... If you're like Alex, and you don't know about the Kobayashi Maru test, you're like, all right, this is all new stuff. It's like, oh, that's, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> you know, the idea that, oh, it's a test that's designed to not be uh, won, and then Kirk wins, and it turns out that he cheated, and all this stuff. They talk about it like it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer, though. I was like, what, what are they going to be doing? <laughs> uh, well, Alex, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, there is a sequence where they basically they just explain what we see happen here. Like they, if you watched Wrath of Khan, you knew exactly what was going to happen. You know, it's established that there was this really hard test that nobody could complete, and that Kirk uh, was the only cadet that had passed it. And then it's revealed that oh, he passed it because he cheated. He reprogrammed the the software or whatever, and then and that's how he won. And then you know he just smiles. So he's like, well, I like to lose. So we already knew all this. This is the equivalent of somebody, you know, just they're just showing you something that any Star Trek fan worth their salt. uh, They knew this. So I'm watching Chris Pine be all cocky and I already know what's happening. There's no reveals. There's no surprises. It's just him eating an apple. And I'm just waiting for the story to actually. The the, the reveal is how he eats an apple. Yes. I mean, (laughs) 
good lord, the bites, like, calm down. There's plenty of surface area on an apple. You don't have to take it in four bites, guy. Well, he he, he wanted to time it so that, yeah. you know, the reveals of, like, oh, the shields are down and I won. It, it's each of those gets a, gets a bigger bite. Uh, and, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, memorable food eating on the show lately. Alex, uh, Chris Pine eating an apple or Anthony Mackie eating a salad? I mean, depends on what we're going for. I think in the context, this is more disturbing because he's not like, it's not the post-apocalypse. He's just being gluttonous and (laughs) very, you know, trying to show off. He's like, you know, when you're a little kid and you try to show off how loud you can chew your gum and shit. So yeah, Anthony Mackie, I can relate. The dude hadn't eaten salad in like 10 years and he saw a salad for the first time. He's like, hell yeah. Because yeah, I guess now's as good a time to any to talk about Chris Pine. This was... Um, his springboard to superstardom, and he's the guy now that like he's meddled with the the superhero franchises. He was in uh, was it a Wonder Woman movie? He was in two of them. Okay, okay. Uh, but of course, coming into this, uh, big Smoke and Aces fan I am, so I knew yeah. him from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if either of y'all are familiar with um. A movie called Blind Dating, which was like a movie that tried to cast him as like the heartthrob early. Like it was right around the time of Smoke and Aces where he's like this blind guy. And if I remember correctly, he doesn't know how attractive he is or something like that. It's a it's pretty insane movie. But he did Smoke and Aces. And then in 2008, he was in a film called Bottle Shock. And then it was right into Star Trek. And uh, it's pretty much been Don't Look Back since then. Um, He, of course, appeared in the. Wet Hot American Summer miniseries is on Netflix and is really fucking funny on there. But uh, all right, Chris Pine, you know, filling in the roles uh, previously of, you know, as the captain here, and spoiler, but, you know, your Patrick Stewart's, your uh, Shatner's. Where does Chris Pine fit in the legacy of, you know, the Enterprise for y'all? It's tough because there really isn't enough material. I mean, One of the crazy things about this movie, like it or not, and we'll talk about that, is that you would expect for this to have been out in 2009, you would expect us to be like on part four or five at this point in in real time. And it kind of stalled at three. Um, So he's fine, but I, I, you know, you're going three movies against people that were in three seasons plus of TV plus three to six to five movies or whatever, you know, it's kind of hard. I do like him. Uh, Physical perfection. He can eat an apple like nobody else. Um, (laughs) But I don't think we got to see enough. And again, if you think about it, like if you're talking about the captaincy for 90% of this movie, he's not the captain. He's just, he's, he's kind of a problem for most of the movie um, (laughs) comparatively. But even cheating a little bit and and looking, moving, forward in time and seeing his career once he becomes a captain in, in the sequels. Um, I think that they they made the decision to really make him more of a an action-oriented captain than uh, an overall rounded captain. Because, you know, Picard, original Kirk, Cisco, you know, whoever you see as as the captain in, in a TV, in a Star Trek show or movie, they usually have to navigate action sequences and also diplomacy and, you know, big uh, big questions they have to grapple with those and so right. like Chris Pine's Kirk doesn't really get to do much of that I, I would say even at all you know he is 
his story beats are about running from one place to another and shooting at the right people and ordering, you know, them to shoot missiles and <laughs> it's just it's just the action stuff. And I think he's a he's a good action captain, but I think that that doesn't make him a good Starfleet officer, at least not in the way that uh, that we're used to seeing our Starfleet captains. So I I think that yeah, I would want him by my side in a fight, but I don't know that I would want him actually leading a flagship, uh, you know, a Federation's flagship <laughs> to infinity and beyond. <laughs> so it, he, you're right. He doesn't really get to show much, but, uh, but that's because in three movies, they really just focus on him fighting more than anything else. Enlist in Starfleet. Enlist. <laughs> you guys must be way down on your recruiting quota for the month. Well, if you're half the man your father was, Jim, Starfleet could use you. So catching up here, Kirk is, you know, they, they call a halt to the disciplinary measures they're going to take against him. Uh, he is disqualified from going on the Enterprise, though, as they're going on an exploratory mission. It's uh, another lightning storm in space they're going to inspect. Uh, McCoy helps him out, though, and makes him intentionally sick, giving him a vaccine. So all the anti-vaxxers watch that and said, see, that's what it does. And... Uh, <laughs> So he takes him on board, you know, per whatever rule. If someone's sick, their medical physician has to care for them. So while on board, he continues to try to offset the symptoms, and it's just making him sicker and sicker. While Meanwhile, he realizes in his head, hearing what's going on, that they're going into a trap because of he knows the events that we saw at the beginning of the film. And he's trying to deliver this message of great importance and, you know, emergency while his tongue's going numb, his hands are swollen. Uh, It's like a life and death situation that's played out in this comedy sequence. This, like, 10 minutes of the movie is like the opening credits to an 80s sitcom. It's like, well, here's Sulu. And now (laughs) (laughs) here's Chekhov. And they're just introducing people one by one. It's almost to the point where they all, like, turn to the camera and wink. Uh, But... (laughs) The, the gang's all together here. John Cho, is that the gentleman's name who mm-hmm. plays Sulu? He's yes. Harold. Yeah, Harold. And then, of course, uh, RIP Anton Yelkin, who... Kyle nails- Reese. Yeah. Oh, well. Green Room. There you go. <laughs> I, I watched Thoroughbreds recently, so that's the first thing that came to mind. I was, I think we got a pretty eclectic uh, sample there. But what, One of the things I thought was funny was, so he's, he's supposed to be this 17-year-old, like, wonderkind, like, you know like uh, Dookie Hauser of space. But one of the things I thought was funny was that obviously part of his job is to do like a lot of the in-ship um, announcements. But when he goes to put the code in and he says the V and the V, it doesn't understand him. You think they would have already sussed that out. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like the computer would like adjust to him, but it's like, he's already on the, like, what if that was like a firing, like they needed him to fire every fire, everything, <laughs> but he had to open it up with that. And then he can't fire or raise shields because the computer doesn't know that this guy can't say V's. <laughs> he just keeps going representative, representative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kirk warns them of what's coming and that's what ends up coming is they come into contact with, um, what is the name of the ship? The Narada. Narada. And this is while they're above Vulcan and have this big fucking gun that's just like drilling a hole into it. And so they plan out this multi-tiered mission uh, approach where Greenwood's going to go and try to negotiate. But he knows he's pretty much just walking into a trap. And then Sulu, (laughs) Kirk, and someone named Olsen, who I don't even know if I saw his face 
he ends up dying almost instantly on the mission. But they go down to try to deactivate this big fucking laser, what have you. That they I can't remember what they call it, but what they're setting up is they're prepping. This is where red matter comes into fray, and Eric Bana's right hand man gets just this big prime 80s Hogan steroid syringe and puts this red matter in it <laughs> and loads this bomb that, that they're going to drop into this hole they're drilling. So Kirk and Sula are able to deactivate this weapon, but it's too late. The um, Romulans drop this bomb into Vulcan and what the red matter does in effect is it creates a black hole. So this planet's collapsing into itself. They get beamed back. Meanwhile, Spock's going to go down because he wants to save his mom and the elders and, um, He's almost successful, but unfortunately, Winona Ryder falls to her death before she can be beamed back up. But Vulcan is no more. It has collapsed into itself. It's pretty brutal that the, you know, it's like an entire planet that's destroyed. But at least what stuck with me was that we lost Winona Ryder. <laughs> that can't be right. That's a miscalculation. And, and she's she's the only white person on that planet, too. Uh. <laughs> this is where we get the reveal, though, that Ahura and Spock are romantically involved as she's comforting him. He's obviously distraught yeah. by this. She's giving him little kisses and tell me what you need. Tell me what you need. That type of thing. Did you think we're heading towards a sex scene, like a grief sex scene in that elevator? Like a... <laughs> They just in like in the passenger seat of the car, like high fidelity <laughs> after that, after yeah. her dad dies. That's what happens here. Back on uh, Narada, Eric Bana is just accosting Pike, Captain Pike, about, you know, what he's gone through. My notice says, what the hell is he talking about? We'll get to it in a minute. But we also <laughs> get the the reveal of the truth slug, which I audibly reacted to where he's going to make Pike swallow this and it's going to release a serum that makes him tell the truth. Cause he wants, you know, Intel about their security and the Federation's inner workings, that type of shit. Uh, back on the ship. I can't remember the context, but I do know Carl Urban says, damn it. I'm a doctor, not a so-and-so <laughs> that's a chainsaw before that I recognized. Well, the, the slugs, are they, are they a chainsaw too? Yeah. From, from Star Trek right? too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there you go. In that Glad movie, I had you here to guide me. Chekhov gets one, but then in, I think they stick him through the ears. In the ear, yeah. I mean, this is pretty disturbing anyway. They just open. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What, what, mouth. what would you rather have, down the throat or in the ear? The, the Both options are <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions that keep Trekkies up at night. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't sleep at all Sunday night after I watched this again. <laughs> <laughs> Conflicts mounting uh, between Spock and Kirk to the point where Kirk questions and uh, ends up attacking guards, and he gets booted off. He gets uh, Spock did the thing, the Vulcan death grip on his neck, and I just imagine like in one of the sold out showings of that, the place just went ape shit for it. But <laughs> he, he gets discarded and dumped on a nearby planet where there's a Federation like outpost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. That's the fucking Captain America. I understood that reference. <laughs> But he frees himself and he gets <laughs> yeah, and one of the fucking Tauntauns comes to try to attack him. And <laughs> he gets saved by the old man himself. It's fucking Leonard Nimoy. And when I saw this in the theater, this was like a shock. This was something that uh I read in some of my research that like the script and filming of this was kept fairly secretive. Um, but do you all remember when you saw this if you were expecting Leonard Nimoy to show up? I feel like it wasn't a secret, 
I don't remember 100%. I, I, don't, I don't remember being shocked. I, I feel like we knew it was coming. And IDW did a, uh, a series called Countdown that came out right around the time of this and actually fills in a lot of the gaps. It's crazy. If, if you ever get a chance to read it, there's a lot of, a lot of times comic book tie-ins like don't really do anything. This one actually is like, wow, that should have been in the movie. Um, and, and he was definitely a part of that. So I kind of had, I think I had a feeling it was coming. I think it, it, it's probably like how much attention you were paying. Cause I, I did not know. I remember being, but I knew so little going into this movie. I knew it was a Star Trek movie, <laughs> and I knew that they had recast the the characters. And I think that that was it. So everything was a surprise to me, from like the actual birth of Kirk to uh, Leonard Nimoy to fire everything. Like I I don't even remember the trailers. So that's uh, it took me by surprise. And I really hope that that comic book John explains how. Spock and Kirk ended up in the like. Is there like a, is there a god manipulating <laughs> things? To, no, so that no. It, it it more it more explains like um the whole plot behind that whole mind melding scene that that we're gonna talk about in a second. I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, where where Spock explains the entire plot of what's happening <laughs> to Kirk in like three minutes of varying levels of voiceover like that sound like it's spacey and and we're catching little bits at a time that's all laid out heavily and also like things that are laid out um the romulan ship is uh, because of the time travel aspect uh they captured a borg ship so the reason it looks like that is because it's part borg technology not never discussed in the movie <laughs> so there's 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 a lot of stuff that actually fills little gaps it, it's a decent read but yeah no 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 um manipulation of what's going on here nobody nobody explains how spock stranded kirk on the planet that spock was already on out of all the planets out there <laughs> it was just meant to be yeah uh, yeah I, an, an act of faith that's what he says at the end of the movie <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> that explains everything it's uh, that's that's what explains left behind as well uh alex okay so you did you geek out when when you saw it happen i don't know geek out's a strong term Leonard Nimoy just—he was always fascinating to me, and obviously, like the, his Simpsons appearance is one of the most like iconic celebrity cameos they ever had on there. And the Star Trek I did watch when I was younger, I was very familiar with him as Spock. So, geek out's a strong term, but I was like, oh shit! I had the same reaction when Matt Damon was in uh, Interstellar. I was like, oh shit! And, like that type of thing. <laughs> well, but did you feel, and this this applies to, I mean, this is for both of you. Did you feel that once we see the real Spock, Zachary Quinto feels really fake? <laughs> he just doesn't feel like Spock anymore. Well, they made, I mean, Leonard Nimoy's old as shit. So it's just like, well, I saw Leonard Nimoy when he was young and he wasn't that good looking. So this is a bit of uh, <laughs> fantasy casting here. Yeah. So, suddenly Zachary Quinto is cosplay Spock. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Spock. He's <laughs> the, the, you know, 2007 college girls costume. Sexy Spock. Or 2009, <laughs> as it were. Please, I apologize. The complexities of human pranks escape me. It's not a prank, Spock. And I'm not the captain. You are. So, as John alluded to, we get, like, two films worth of exposition in 30 seconds as uh, Spock begins recounting 
what happened in a previous life. And hop in if I'm wrong here, but I'm going to just take a deep breath and try to get this all out. In the future, a star blows up that threatens to suck in Romulan Romulus and destroy the planet. Spock is tasked on Vulcan with helping them out and solving that. Uh, but he gets there too late and the star just explodes and kind of absorbs it because he was going to like take red matter and create another black hole to suck that star into it to save Romulus. I, again, uh, calling this on the fly here. That's, that's kind of what Spock was doing, I think. <laughs> but eventually, you know, Nero wasn't on there, so he made it his life's goal to find Spock. And he did. That's where the red matter comes in because he created this black hole to kind of get him to fuck off. And it shot Nero and that ship through. And that that's like at the beginning of the movie, right? Where he comes into contact with right. Thor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that. So they both go through this black hole that they created. But because Nero goes first, I guess he, sh- he shows up 25 years earlier in the timeline. And that's then right. Spock goes through a second later, but he shows up much, much later in the 25 years later in the timeline. But somehow he, Nero is able to pin Spock on that planet because he makes him watch him destroy Vulcan. It's something like really cold blooded that he does. I can't remember how he yeah. gets him on there though. He, he captures him when he comes through. So yes. when Spock comes yeah. through, the 25 years later, he captures him. And then he basically tells him, I'm going to put you on this planet and you're going to watch me. So essentially it's happening at the same time as what we're seeing happening on Vulcan. Uh, but we just don't know that Spock's like, oh, fuck, look at this happen. <laughs> My PlayStation 5, it's on that planet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, he's gonna. he tells him, I'm going to put you on this planet so you can watch Vulcan die. But also so you can help Kirk get to Scotty. Because yeah. he's not going to be able to do it on his own. <laughs> Nero was very mindful as, as a villain. He knew that the, the plot needed to progress. Simon Pegg, who's obviously a very prolific and famous actor... Uh, but definitely at this point in time, Shaun of the Dead, I felt like was one of those movies that it took like a year or two to really become popular and kind of a staple of uh, the movies of its time. Uh, so Simon Pegg getting a check, playing Scotty. Is Scotty Scottish? Is that yes. accurate? Okay. Why wouldn't they cast somebody Scottish? That I'm I'm far more okay with an English actor playing a Scottish actor than I am with the idea having just watched X Men Apocalypse last night, and they have Rose Byrne, who's an English actress, play Moira McTaggart, who is a Scottish character, but they make her have a fucking Engl- an American accent. It's infuriating. <laughs> so I'm okay with Scotty here, and he's got his little friend um, who doesn't have a name, nor does he have any lines. He, he like whimpers when he goes away, but. Spock <laughs> explains, all right, this is what you're going to do. You have to go up here. Uh, you have to elicit an emotional response from uh, my, my younger self to enact uh, Starfleet Regulation 619. Uh, Rey Mysterio fans everywhere rejoiced when they heard 619. And you, have to, you have to go back to the Enterprise and cause an HR incident in front of everybody at work. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then he tells him, you can't tell my younger self that you've met me because that would be too easy he's well and he says like you know it could create a time paradox 
It's Metal Gear Solid 3. If you shoot and kill Revolver Ocelot, it's game over because you create a time paradox. Yeah, but the time paradox, if that was the case, and I know that at the end of the movie, they, he, it turns out that Spock was just uh, embellishing, but um, is Kirk Implying. so dumb? That, yes. <laughs> is Kirk so dumb he doesn't realize that they're ready? Like, the paradox, if there was going to be one, it's already happening because... You know, he's interacting with an older Spock from a different timeline. So everything right now is is just up in the air. I, Have I you seen think this that... man eat an apple? I don't know if he can really <laughs> grasp the concept of that. <laughs> he's reckless. He doesn't care. He eats an orange the same way. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Skin and all on Skin it. Skin and all. Goes right before it. It's juice everywhere. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> They get beamed up to the ship while it's going warp speed. That becomes like the immediate, like, how the fuck did you get here? Spock's like, Zachary Quinto Spock, we're back to young hot Spock. And he's going just nuts. Like, how did you get on here? And Kirk, I don't have to tell you. And he asks Simon Pegg, Scotty, tell him. And he says, you don't have to tell him. Simon Pegg in tremendous delivery said, you know, I don't really want to take sides in this. (laughs) And then the shit talking begins and Spock snaps and just Beats the fuck out of Kirk. It's actually a pretty baller scene because Kirk like tries to put up a fight and he has nothing to offer Spock. He just beats the shit out of him. Uh, but then he says, you know, I'm relieved of my duty. So I, uh, he relieves himself of his duty because he's emotionally compromised. Well, his his dad yells at him. And that's, that's what makes him <laughs> realize that he's in the wrong. Okay, but maybe you guys experience it differently. This is probably the biggest plot issue I have with the movie. Uh, I think that the movie is is building up to this moment where you're supposed to think that Kirk is in the right. And so it's a problem that Spock disagrees with Kirk because Kirk has the right idea. And, you know, the movie wants us to be cheering Kirk on because we want him to be the captain because, you know, he's right. But the entire time that I was watching this, I'm like, Spock makes sense. You know, because what Kirk wants to do is he just wants to go after Nero and and put up a fight. And Spock says, we can't put up a fight because his ship is much more powerful than ours. We need to reconvene with the Federation and gather our forces, and then maybe we stand a chance. That makes sense to me. So when Kirk takes over the ship to just to be reckless because he's he's Kirk, I didn't feel like that was a win. I I, I felt that we we were all losing. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you're supposed to feel like it's a win, because I, I don't well I think the Kirk character I don't know if in this movie we ever see him get to the point where he deserves our wanting him to become the captain. Like, like after that scene, right? He, he essentially emotionally compromises Spock on purpose, even though it's at the behest of, you know, Spock's future self, but like, there's such a slimy undercurrent of the way he climbs into the seat. Mm -hmm. Like, like he's so smugly satisfied with himself for essentially giving a coworker a fucking nervous breakdown. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't matter how much you dislike someone. There's no, there's a point where you're like, Oh shit. I, I really, you know, I, I told him he didn't love his mom who died like two hours ago. <laughs> so yep. yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I agree with you, but I wonder like what, at what point are you supposed to start rooting for Kirk? Because you're right. Uh, Spock is doing the, the prudent thing. Let's go meet up with the rest of the fleet. Because we already saw what this ship did to most or a good chunk of the fleet in five minutes time. Um, and yeah, he is, I, I think maybe they wanted us to to want Kirk to be like seat of your pants guy, but <laughs> yes. it's, you're right. Story-wise, it's, it's kind of like reckless. It's like, uh, he's making all the wrong choices. I do like the fact that Ahura says to him, I hope you know what you're doing. 
And he's like, me too. But like, again, like, oh, that doesn't instill confidence either. Like, yeah, um, yeah. I was thinking that because, okay, so they say that Spock's more, uh, emotionally compromised, but he wasn't until Kirk started pushing his buttons. So it would have made more sense if, uh, I mean, you would have to rewrite the entire movie, but that's why they get paid for this. Uh, but they, you know, it would have made more sense if Spock was the one that was gung-ho about going after Nero because he's mad because he wants to avenge his mother. And right. Kirk is the one that's t- trying to tell him, no, you need to do something else. And then I- I'll be, you know, I'll feel bad for Spock, but I would understand why Kirk actually has the right. Uh, Did he get gaslit by future Spock? <laughs> Does future Spock want revenge so bad that he yes. essentially gaslit Kirk into fucking over like clear thinking Spock? There Weird. you go. I need to be more irrational. I need to be more like you. Let's do it. I like this ship. You know, it's exciting. Well, eventually Spock realizes he needs to help Kirk uh, because this is a movie after all, and we have a, a franchise to build here. So they come up with a plan that they're going to hide the ship because they're close to Saturn. So they can hide the ship in the gas clouds, uh, the ring around Saturn, pretty much. So they're going to beam Spock and Kirk onto that ship to try to basically get Pike and neutralize the enemy here. Uh, This is where everyone on the ship learns that uh, Ahura and Spock have a relationship. Uh, Neota, I believe, is her first name. I know I said it at the beginning, but that's kind of the reveal there because one of the ongoing bits throughout it is Kirk is trying to find out her first name because he's just so desperate to mac on her. Uh, it's It's a pretty good scene played for laughs just in the sense of Everyone clearly had no idea, and just kind of the look Kirk makes is uh, Chris Pine has some pretty good facial expressions here. But it, I think it's the best thing that J.J. Abrams staged in this movie, maybe in his entire career, because even before Kirk notices, we can see it in the background, like Spock and Uhura are making out in at yeah. the transporter. It, it's not even a big reveal. It's like it's happening. It just felt so real. Like <laughs> This is a dude that might not come back. So he's making up with his girlfriend one last time. And then we go into the close ups and, and you get the you get Kirk's reaction. But that's uh, if the entire movie was pitched, uh, you know, with that level of craftsmanship, I think that I, I would uh, I would agree with its tomato meter score a lot more. So, so I don't understand how Scotty still has a job at the end of the movie because here he's going to beam them over and he's like, if this is anything like I'm used to, I'm going to beam you into the cargo of the ship and there's not going to be anyone around. But he beams him like right to the belly of the beast and they they appear and everyone just kind of looks over for a second like, get him. And so a shit ton of action unfolds here. It's just balls to the wall pretty much for the rest of the movie. They're able to take out the henchman and the, the bob to... Eric Bonner's Joker. I can't remember what his name is. I think it started with an A. Uh, a A L maybe. Yeah, it, yeah, that sounds it's, right. It's Clifton Collins Jr. I just didn't remember the name. He gets it. Uh, Spock finds the the ship that was originally his because he gets on board and you know it recognizes his voice and this is kind of where Spock begins piecing together. I don't know how. I guess because he's so hyper intelligent, but his immediate is like. Oh, you met me in the future. That's his immediate go-to. <laughs> he, he doesn't consider any other options here of what's going on. Um, but he takes back his ship. He goes out and he circles back like he's going to fucking kamikaze it. And this is where Eric Bana screams fire everything. This is where um, Eric Bana becomes Tom Sizemore. 
where he just goes, Mickey, I'm coming to get you. Because <laughs> he screams Spock's name a few times before before the trailer moment, before fire everything. Uh, this was, to me, it just felt, and I know I'm bringing my own baggage to this, but to me, this felt like a man that was still mad that he was the original Hulk in, in <laughs> you know, in Marvel's first Hulk movie and uh, and that he wasn't anymore. <laughs> That they gave it to Edward Norton. This was this felt like Eric Bana with a chip on his shoulder, trying to prove something, trying to prove that he could be something in a different franchise. And uh, I think, like you said, that was this. This was kind of around the end of the Eric Bana experiment. So sadly, it didn't it didn't pay off. But I don't want to like penalize him for trying too hard. But he's trying too hard, <laughs> right? He lost his planet, dog. He's he's going through the motions here. He had twenty five years to get over it. <laughs> as as one way or the other, like fire everything is worth it. And then I, I gotta say, the scene where uh, Pike introduces himself to him and he goes, "Hi, Christopher Nero." <laughs> like uh, it, that's worth it for the whole fucking movie. Is his, his little inflections of like kindness in this weird character. Um, yeah, <laughs> you say only like twenty five years, but Spock was also a bit too level headed for being almost directly responsible for the deaths of billions of people. He was just like, yeah, "It happened. I wish it didn't, but now I'm stuck here." <laughs> well, you know those Vulcans—they they really keep it all inside. So that's true. So, as I mentioned, Spock's coming in. It looks like a suicide mission. We quickly learn it's not. And uh, Nero figures that out, too. He knows his goose is cooked because, boom, here comes the Enterprise. Just fucking unloading hell for leather on um, the Narada. They're able to beam Kirk and Spock back aboard. Spock's ship then ends up colliding with the Narada, which aggravates and sends the red matter into fucking overdrive. So it just, boom, goes off, creates a black hole, sucks the Narada in. The Enterprise fighting for it. This is where we get giving it all she's got, Captain, from Simon Pegg. Uh, he comes up with the idea that if we drop the core and blow it, it may blast us outside of the the area the black hole's sucking in. So he does. They do make it. It's a triumphant moment. Back on the... <laughs> this was like the loading... Where, where's the flight station in Empire Strikes Back? Because that's exactly what this looks like. Like the the Cloud City? Yeah. Like Bespin? Yeah. Yes. Because they don't show them flying there and landing. They're just there. Like it's the next scene. And then we get the looper moment where old Spock talks to young Spock. And he goes uh, like, so uh, Uhura, huh? <laughs> He's like, I always thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the better timeline. Uh, this is where he says an act of faith. He said, you gambled. He said, oh, no, an act of faith. And he said, you lied. I simply implied that type of thing. They're just It's just too cute for its own good here. <laughs> but we see that Chris Pine has been promoted to the rank of captain. So he's Captain Kirk now. He has his crew assembled. And this is uh, John, you know, it's, it is what the movie is. But he put it at the beginning of this discussion. It's a prequel, basically, because this ends off with them assembled as the Enterprise and uh, we get the big fucking voiceover from Leonard Nimoy, Space the Final Frontier, Boldly Go Where No Man's Gone Before, and it's just... So, so they were um, getting ready to, to depart, though. They were going to go on whatever mission, and he still didn't have a second-in-command? That's what I gather yeah, from that yeah. list. <laughs> yeah, Spock just walks on. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even apply for the job. He's just like, hey, look, you got you don't have one yet. I'm qualified. 
and we're good now. We're best friends. Let's go make bunk beds and um, yeah, have activity time. <laughs> they have a secret handshake. <laughs> I think like the biggest thing is, yeah, they end with the classic Star Trek voiceover. But I was shocked. I guess I'd forgotten because it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Just how callous the climax is that they basically... They just rejoice in the fact that they get to kill Nero, which seems to be... They, they offer him an out, but yeah, they right, definitely... but then they turn to the camera and they're like, but not really, like, yeah, fuck this guy. And then they just kill him, which is very unlike Star Trek, which is about, you know, yeah. community and, you know, the olive branch. Like, Kirk, Picard, whoever, you know, original Kirk, they would have gone and saved him. They wouldn't even ask them, you know? They'd be like, we're saving you and then we can figure it out after. Uh, but this movie... It's not even that the movie's making a commentary about, like, these are the heroes that we need now or whatever. No, it's just they treat it like it's a cool thing, that they blow him up. <laughs> just not a second is spared to consider, like, the loss of humanity that, you know, has happened in this ordeal or anything. It's just, um, this is why people hate this movie, Alex. <laughs> the people that hate it, <laughs> this is why. Because <laughs> uh, they they feel that it's not Star trek enough. And then the credits have lens flares. <laughs> Well, of course. <laughs> lens flares and Dutch angles everywhere. The lens flares and the direction and the movie itself, I think uh, we've done as much as we can, sarcastically, facetiously, and having fun here with Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and the gang. Uh, I'm very curious how y'all feel about this movie uh, being not like rooted in star trek but having obviously way more context and knowledge than i do about it so um it's at this point where i recommend we deboard the enterprise and move along to real talk is there a problem officer citizen what is your name my name is james tiberius kirk <laughs> 